This is Coda Radio, episode 151, for April 27th, 2015. Welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us dutifully every single week is our excellent host, who is most definitely established on the East Coast. Why, yes, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Chris, I have survived. You are a survivor. attempt. Whoa. Whoa. Are you telling me there was a grand conspiracy to go after Michael Dominic, host of the Coda Radio program? Yeah, we're from New Jersey. We call it a hit. You're tell- well, hold on now. Hold on now. You're telling me there was a hit? A hit put out on me. Mr. Dominic, what happened? Break it down for me. So my lovely wife is packing up my bags for Linux Fest Norway. You know, all the usual stuff. Sure. Got to get you all ready uh, for the big trip. Your Linux Action Show hoodies. Yeah, sure. Good. Oh, your good. orange, bright orange Coda Radio t-shirt. Nice. Your black Coda Radio t-shirt. Nice. Two pairs of jeans. Yeah. Several pairs of banana hammock underwear. Of course. Right. And, of course. of course, a paddle for spanking Chris Fisher. Oh! Now, I was well, and a MacBook Pro, because, you know, I was well ready to go. I was resting. Yeah. Getting my strength together. Sure. As I'm sleeping, minding my own business, three ninjas, or what I thought were ninjas, crawl into my bedroom. These ninjas, Chris, were dressed in black turtlenecks and skinny jeans. Uh Uh-huh. And white sneakers? And white sneakers. I've seen the type. They injected me with a disease. (gasps) With the purpose of preventing me from going to Linux Fex Northwest. Yeah, you came down with some sort of plague. And so you couldn't well, make it. It was very sad. I was super upset. I was going to go anyway, and the wife was like, I'll kill you. You'll die on the plane. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, aren't wives adorable? Yeah, I know. They're like, what's the point of going? You're just going to get them sick. You're mortal. Uh, yeah. So I was like, okay, well. Uh. <clears throat> she literally would not let me sleep until I agreed not to go. So You, you were was- a misfigure. I, I, I lost. I think I started losing track of how many people asked about you around 100. I I felt really bad. I, it's okay though, you know. Um, uh, Mr. Chase ended up not being able to make it either, and uh, uh, JT from uh, BSD, BSD now couldn't make it. So we had well, a couple people. Okay. But I mean, overall, we had guys don't make it. That's absolutely. What what what? Uh, we had. I mean, really, it was a hell of a party. It, I think it was our best. Uh, I think it was our best Linux Fest yet, and it was really nice for the crew that we did get together. I mean, for the first time, we got almost everybody together at the dinner table, which is pretty neat. Uh, so that was. Uh, in fact, let's see here. Do I have a picture of it? Man, so many great pictures from Linux Fest Northwest up on our Instagram feed, uh, and here's uh, here's one of them from dinner. There's a lot of the crew from dinner production, and there's Noah, of course, and myself, and Angela, and Matt down there, and Alan right there, and yeah. So uh, it was a, it was a blast. So despite these these villains trying to keep me down, I was thinking, Chris, this is to- Chris does not know about this. What's that? I'm going to a Microsoft conference on May. Well, what day is that? May 18th. And what is it? Does anybody know in New York? A Microsoft concert or oh, not a concert, no. No, conference. Um, I'm trying to Google it as I speak because I don't keep a very organized calendar. Chat room, help. Help, chat room. So, yeah, I can search for it. Let's see, what should I search for? Microsoft? Search for it. You yeah, want to do a meetup? Is that what you're thinking? Microsoft? I was thinking all uh, as, a, as an apology for the fans. New York. I, I know people are on the West Coast and, I, you know, but it's Geez, this is kind of ironically funny to find because the first thing I get is Microsoft events for 2014. Microsoft needs to work on their SEO, huh? So it's on the 18th. I have it on my uh, ironically Mac calendar here. Mm, Good. It is at 1515 Broadway on West 44th Street, which if you're from New Jersey like me, might as well be Thailand. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it is a free conference if you can still get a ticket. So is that the... uh, uh Dev intersection one? 
on May uh, 18th. Let's see here. May 18th, yeah. Oh. I mean, no, that's Scottsdale. Never mind. Jeez, Microsoft's got other events going on the same day. There's all kinds of crap. Yeah. This is called the Build Tour. You know what that's we could how, do is yeah. you and I could sync offline and I could get all that in like a meetup. Because yeah. we have that yeah. meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting Group and then we could just organize it there. Because this is uh, why we started to do that. Because it gets kind of hairy. Yeah, okay. Because what I'm thinking is uh, I think there's a pub almost right where they're having the tour. Just if anybody from the network wants to go grab a beer during it, whatever, because let's be honest, Microsoft show, you're, you're not going to see the sessions, right? You're just, you're just not. Like, love to hang with them. I think that'd be really cool. All right. Well, yeah, we'll get the meetup organized for that. And uh, <clears throat> one of these days, I'm going to be actually on the East Coast for BSD Can if that all works out, but I'll be up in Toronto, not uh, not in the States. I'm, I'm not allowed in Canada anymore. Chris. Oh, yeah. And well, after that. After that one night, I don't blame them. Well, I, it was, I, it, you know, they're, they're really weird about elk and moose. Yeah, well, it, dude, uh, it, yeah, when you when you do it right on the front lawn of the mayor, I I think that's right. I, I don't yeah. think that's too unusual, really. Well, do, do you think it was taunting the bounties with like lingerie? Was that was that probably right? I, I don't even know how you found a sexy bounty outfit. I don't even know right. how you found that. I guess that makes sense. Up in Canada, they'd probably have a thing. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, so we have so much to get into today. A lot of hoopla that I wanted to actually. I think we have a this is this could be a new segment. We have some hoopla busting to do. Ooh, ooh right? Are, wait, wait, are people making shit up on the internet? <laughs> it's so funny. That, it's so funny how that happens. Yeah, so we have a little hoopla busting. First. Although, although I think there might be Surf for Mac OS 10. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's some hardcore speculation going on in some of the ARM forums right now that there's already a, an ARM MacBook in development. So, uh, haters yes. going to hate. Hate is because anus is what I'm saying. That's almost certainly true. I don't know how. I don't know what that means at all. I don't know what I'm talking about. So, so let's just get right back on topic. So, you know what the best part about being an Apple developer is, Chris? Yeah, totally. What? No, I don't have any idea. I've never done it. It's that magical feeling after like three to six months of work. You wait two to seventeen weeks, and you get that email from Apple. We're sorry, your app cannot be accepted into the App Store. Now, I've heard some things here, Chris, around the Pebble smartwatch and folks trying to support that. Yeah, you know, and this is a funny thing. Uh, so Apple has always been kind of weird about mm. other products in any of their stores, physical stores or their online stores that compete with their own stuff. Uh, didn't uh, Wasn't it uh, true that uh, when the uh, Apple Watch was announced, they began uh, pulling Fitbits from the Apple Store? Is that true? I think that is a thing. Um, really? And so... CNAV US, an iOS app, made a little bit of noise over the weekend when their app, which has had Pebble uh, smartwatch support for two years, and that support has been listed in the description of the app for two years, when they did an app update for a completely unrelated feature, and their app was then rejected because it listed... Uh, oh, I forget how... Oh, here we go. Here we go. This, was, uh, this is how Apple puts it. Apps or metadata that mentions the name of any other mobile platform will be rejected. Here's the details. We've noticed that your app or its metadata contains irrelevant platform information. Providing future platform compatibility plans or other platform references is not appropriate for the App Store. And so, they go on to say, specifically, your app and app description declare support for the Pebble Smart Watch. Please remove any instances of this information from your app and its marketing materials, including the application description, what's new info, previews, and screenshots. Now, how the hell, as somebody who owns a Pebble smartwatch, am I going to figure out what apps in the App Store support my watch without that stuff in the metadata or in the description? Mr. Dominic, how the uh, hell? So, I'm a little confused. I, is this actually real? Because I can't imagine, like, people buying a Pebble also considering an Apple Watch. Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, on April 24th, uh, Apple contacted the developers directly, and they, they decided to reverse their stance and uh, approve the app immediately. So this is the story we hear weird. every single time. App gets pulled for some arbitrary reason. Publicity gets made because the reason is super arbitrary and really ridiculous. Enough buzz happens. Apple jumps on it and fixes and immediately changes course. But yet it's the same kind of thing. And I go back to your opening line. As you sit down, you spend three to six months minimum, probably more, on an app than to have this happen. And in this case, this CNAV iOS app has, been, has had this for two years. For two years. 
They're sitting back now. They think they, hey, we have a nice, stable revenue base. We've got a good customer base in iOS. We've been in there for two years. We have a good niche. Nobody else is really doing this kind of stuff. This, these guys over at Pocket Mariner really have a great app for this kind of thing. And they think they've got it made. And then all of a sudden, one day, boom, they're cut off. And it, thankfully, because they're a popular app, because they're not, there's not a million of these ones, they got some attention. Well, it, it's the old thing where, the, you know, the guidelines say don't go cry to the press. But in fact, the, literally the best thing you can do is go cry to the press. Yeah. And uh, then, things yeah. Get, then things get cleaned up, and there you go. I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this, right? Because I, you have to be a little fair here, right? There are probably dozens of these app review guys. And every, everybody Hundreds, has a bad probably. day. Probably. Pro- probably. Everybody has a bad day, right? Sometimes you wake up and you're just gonna, like, I'm going to be a jerk today. And I feel like some, because this seems really dumb. Right? Here's what I think. You want to hear my theory? Go ahead. This is totally just me be, me just being a, a Sunday morning quarterback, whatever that term is, that Monday morning. I'm such a Monday morning, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not allowed to make sports references, okay? You're really not. Yeah. Here is, here's what I think. I think these guys must have their jobs on the line. I bet if uh, something gets in, like a booby or a vagina or a dick, if that gets into the app store, I bet somebody loses their job. And so, I'm sure of that. Otherwise, okay. why would these guys go to these lengths? And so these guys who are way down in the food chain are having to make these kinds of critical decisions on behalf of developers on, or on behalf of Apple that affect developers because their jobs have got to be on the line if they're doing this kind of stuff. And then whenever it goes above their head, stuff gets corrected. But it seems to me a new policy comes down from on high that says, hear ye, hear ye, Apple now makes a watch, ergo anything that is a watch-like thing is now banned because we okay. compete with that. And it's, a, it's to them, it seems to be very binary. Does it compete with an Apple product? If answer is yes, then app is rejected because, my God, if I say no, then it's my ass on the line. Okay, but I feel like there's, there's a big difference between, you know, a giant basilisk popping out in, in the middle of the screen, and you know what I mean by basilisk, guys. Mm. Um, that one was for you, Chris. Or, Thank you. You know, mentioning mentioning the Pebble smartwatch, right? I feel like you get a talking to for the latter if it's really not allowed, and you get straight up fired for the first. Like, can't you see that the, there's a difference, right? You're saying they don't. You don't think that's the case? No, no. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's uh, sort of. Uh... Uh, again, it's my ass. Don't protect the developers. It's not worth it. Doesn't matter if they've been around for two years. Doesn't, ma- doesn't matter if they make a fantastic product that's extremely needed. Doesn't matter if customers need to know if it supports their watches, even though customers have spent money on that watch, even though customers have bought the Pebble smartwatch because it's the only other smartwatch on the market that works with iOS. Despite all of that, they don't give a shit, and they still block the app because Apple doesn't care about their customers. They don't care about the developers. Or they care too much about the customers, and they think they're being super protective, and they really don't give a crap about the developers. I can't tell which one it is. So did they give you, like, Pop Rocks and Coke all weekend? (laughs) I know, right? Uh, No, listen. How can you be sitting on the other end of this call and be defending this? Uh, no, no, it's not defending, but this this seems like a non-story, right? It's, oh my god, Apple did a stupid rejection. It's I think, also no, I disagree. I see, I, I could see that. And I could see how this kind of story leads to fatigue on this kind of story. I think right. the fact that it is almost, almost, almost Q2, Q3, oh, end of Q2, almost Q3, whatever, of, of 2015. We're in 2015, right. and this, today, is still a problem. This, right. today, is still an issue. Wait, Apple still wait. has their head so far up their ass that they're crushing their wow. development community. It's just, it is wow. so funny to watch Apple turn into the next IBM. It's so here's the problem, Chris. This happens every day to hundreds of apps, right? The, the difference is most of those apps are written by college kids or people who don't – or maybe not college kids. Maybe that's being dismissive. Uh, people who just don't have any friends in journalism, any platform, any way to cleverly complain, right? If we spent – if I guess my counter – to you is if we spent all our time complaining about all the dumb things Apple does to its development community, that is literally all we would talk about, right? I know. I just feel like this particular thing, it's got to change. Like, there is one dumb thing, and I'll, we'll get off the Apple train in a second. Okay. The guidelines for iWatch apps, did you happen to read the uh, what pr- languages are permitted, no. how it's phrased? No. It is not Objective-C or Swift. It is, object- it is Swift 
or Objective C and Swift, <laughs> which is a huge little, little comma. A little hey, comma makes uh, a big old difference. Mr. Dominic, I got a great pro tip. Uh, if you want to come out with a new uh, development language and you want to make sure people adopt it, I have a great way make to do it. it. Yeah. Make it mandatory? Yeah. Yeah. Turns out. I think there's been a little more resistance. I mean, you, you could listen to a number of Apple podcasts and everybody kind of, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, very excited about Swift. Oh, so you're doing your project in Swift? And right. no, it's production and I don't want my client to sue me. I, right? can, like, I can kind of, although I can kind of understand when you have a brand new platform like the Apple Watch, like that's the time to say make it Swift because that gives them flexibility down the road. So Yeah, it, it definitely, it, it, it's interesting though how, I guess it's a reminder of the level of control they have, where they can just say, "Oh yeah, no, no, you're you're doing it in Swift." Period. Right? Mm-hmm. Like just ju- just because. Oh yeah, the API exists in Objective C. Do you find it to be fascinating too that uh, the reports coming in that the third party apps are almost unbearably slow? I think it was John Gruber that said he actually never got one of them to finish loading. I'm sorry, Bluetooth isn't fast. Yeah, isn't that weird? That's that's shocking. Uh, but that seems pr- that seems almost unbelievably bad to me. But no, that that seems obvious to me. How, how do how, what would you expect? It, look at the look at the design schematic of the device. It communicates over Bluetooth. Yeah, it loads the app in over Bluetooth and then and then right. projects it essentially. And, and there's no there's not enough processing power on the watch itself to allow for any kind of like animations. Forget about vectors, just any animations, right? So you're talking about sending static images, which most people are. Between uh, between the phone to the watch. In fact, there's a whole bunch of tutorials you can go read from developers because they want a custom UI on how they literally do their UI on the phone, process that on the phone, render it into a UI image, which is the just generic image class on uh, Coco Touch, and send it over to the watch. Hmm. That whole process is, uh, for lack of a better term, really stupid. Yeah. Well, right? and I mean, I, I, when I hear people like John Gruber say. I never even got one to work. I think to myself, uh, okay, why wasn't that in some of the reviews? Well, because the developers who own the reviews. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for the developers who worked on this, right? Because they only got to work on a simulator, and the simulator is a land of lies, basically, right? (laughs) That's very true. Yeah, I'm not blaming the developers. I'm blaming the reviewers who failed. John, I maybe I mean I didn't I didn't read John Gruber's review word for word. I kind of skimmed it, but I'm pretty sure I right. didn't see him mention in his review he failed to ever launch a third-party app. That seems like a I mean, I I'll say a lot of things about Android Wear compared to Apple Watch, but I'll tell you what, I do have third-party apps that launch. Yeah, I mean, I I find it hard to believe that no third-party apps could launch. He said I, no, he said that they wouldn't launch. He just gave up waiting for them. He got too impatient. One to two minutes for some of them. Yeah, so that, that, that's super crappy. I can't believe they shipped it like that. I don't, I don't, that doesn't sound, that doesn't, that doesn't, I mean, the iPhone didn't ship with apps. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just surprised that they, uh, they did that. It, it is, the whole wearables thing just isn't ready yet. It's not ready for prime time. It needs another year. 2016 will be a lot better. And I'm not just defending Apple because I, I don't particularly care for, the iWatch at its current juncture. Yeah. I'm saying the whole thing, right? Android Wear is not yeah. great either. Uh, the Microsoft band is a joke at this point. Well, uh, I have a response, but first, why don't uh, let's, let's shift gears and uh, we'll start getting into more of our hoopla. But first, I want to talk about Linux Academy, the first sponsor of the Coda Radio program this week. And Linux Academy just had a huge content update week, uh, recently. And I've been telling you a little bit about it. I, uh, I went through and I was reviewing it. Uh, I got a link to the video. I think it's up on their YouTube channel, too, so you can check out Linux Academy. Uh, but a super nice, super nice co- uh, batch of new content coming in there. But I think there's a few things that uh, I, myself, being rather busy these days with Linux Fest and all these kinds of things, a couple of new things they've added that would appeal to somebody like myself. Uh, Number one, and first and foremost, I've got to say I love their new Nugget system. I mean, they've introduced a ton of large, large-scale content, so I don't want to minimize that. But for somebody like me right now, I like being able to get uh, just dip in, get a little bit of knowledge, and then jump out. And that's what's great about their new Nugget system. Uh, they're available at the top navigation menu when you log in, and they're standalone video how-tos. That don't, they don't really fit in a major course or maybe even a specific training path necessarily, uh, but they're everyday tasks that you're going to encounter on a regular basis. So it's really nice to refresh yourself on this or maybe learn a better efficient way to do some of these everyday tasks. And that's always surprising when I learn a new way to do something I've even done for a decade. Uh, so they say uh, also that they're looking for requests for new nuggets as well, which I think that's pretty awesome. And uh, 
I think uh, one thing that you might be interested in now, if you've become a member of Linux Academy and you figured it out, yeah, it really is everything Chris has talked about and more. That's the funny thing, too, isn't it? Is once you got in there, you realize it's even better than I've been talking about. That's the incredible thing. I love that. I love that when that happens. So I want to tell you about the, uh, the Founders Club. Uh, there's a lot of students who help contribute to make Linux Academy better. Their community is extremely awesome. You know, a lot of it's full of you guys, too, which uh, we have a great community. And you know who you are. You are the person who wants to access new content features before they're released. Maybe you could help Linux Academy do some Q&A type work. Well, uh, some users are ready to jump in even before the courseware is 100% complete, maybe to help iron some of that out. So for those dedicated users, Linux Academy is announcing the Founders Club. You get early access to content as it's being developed. You get access to the site beta features as they're being developed. This is really cool because they have a very unique an awesome educational platform. Major Linux Academy swag, including a Founders Club shirt, hoodie, pinhead, and the Penguin plush, and the new stress ball. That's, that's really cool. Uh, and the Founders Club badge in the community and profile. The ability, though, this I think this was really cool, and this is what I would get in there for, the ability to vote on what open source projects will receive the new Linux Academy $5,000 open source grant. I told you about that last week. And now when you become part of the Founders Club, you get to vote on which projects get that grant money. Proceeds will help go towards new Linux Academy Foundation open source grants as well. If you're not interested, don't worry. If you're not interested in the Founders Club, you'll still get unlimited access to all Linux Academy content, and you won't have to access it until it's 100% completed, which is just great for a lot of you. So go check it out, and don't forget they have that new open source grant program. They're going to get $5,000 away. So the open source project that gets voted on, just to be eligible, has to be an open source project with an open source license. Also, the Red Hat Certified Services, uh, or what's the R? Anybody know RHCSA Systems Administration? I would assume, but I'm not positive on that. They've got a new course on that's being released April 26th, so it should be out yesterday. But I haven't logged in today. Uh, they have DevOps Essentials available right now. 50 new video nuggets that I was talking about; those are available right now. The AWS CSA Pro available for the Founders Club members starting on May 15th, and everyone else will get it on June 15th. That's a great course. Oh, man, and LPIC 201 will be available in July. Wow, the 201 course, that's awesome. That's really great for those looking to get a Linux uh, gig out there. Uh, Go check it out. More content on the way. Uh, Upcoming certifications are going to be announced as part of the roadmap very soon, so check that out. And Founders Club are going to have access to all that stuff while it's under development. That Founders Club is going to be awesome if you become a Linux Academy pro. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That'll get you the Coder Radio discount, linuxacademy.com slash coders. Linux Academy is the premier platform to learn some of the best technology out there based around open source, Linux, and the whole stack, AWS, all of it. If it's some of the best stuff out there right now, Linux Academy has courseware on everything from doing backup with rsync to building the most awesome nginx forwarding load balancing monster you can imagine linuxacademy.com slash coders to get the coder radio discount and a really big thank you linux academy go check out all their amazing video content audio content downloadable comprehensive study guides practice exam detailed notes step-by-step instructions time estimations all of it and their virtual infrastructure is super slick they custom built all of it with your own linux config from seven plus linux distributions linuxacademy.com slash coders thanks linux academy mr dominic i'm not so sure i completely agree on your assessment of android wear but we do not have to uh belabor the point it is probably not all of that interesting to all of the audience i suppose uh but uh i i I, i've enjoyed my r watch i'll just leave it at that i have the lg watch r i've liked it quite a bit i have it in always on mode these days which is very nice Mm. and i would just leave it at that i won't i won't Blame the fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, I wanted to read an email that we got into the show uh, from Brian in the rego- in regards to uh, open source as a trap laptop discussion we had a couple of weeks ago. That generated some feedback, and we never really got to talk too much about it because we've been busy. So I wanted to touch on Brian. He says, hey, Mike and Chris, I'm a bit behind, but today I was listening to the open source as a trap, and you guys are going on about your laptop discussion. I thought as a person who purchased the Dell 2012 XPS 13, the Sputnik edition, and have been using Ubuntu for the past four years exclusively... I previously was on an Asus Zenbook. I have something interesting to add to the discussion. I'll cut to the chase. This week, I ordered a new replacement laptop due to many of the issues you discussed above. Battery life being crappy, even after he tweaked it. Uh, Wi-Fi was somewhat unusable if he got too much crazy into the power savings. So he went ahead and purchased, wait for it, a Retina MacBook Pro 13-inch. It's interesting to hear Mike talk about it, about his frustration with the Mac when I'm having 
the exact, uh, I'm having the exact experience with Ubuntu and looking for a more stable experience. I have been using a Mac Pro at work for the past four years exclusively and recently moved to Yosemite and have had none of the issues people are describing. What I think it comes down to is your experience with these products. For me, my work experience has been so good and I've had little annoyances with a laptop purchase to run Linux. And I, and I had so little annoyances with a laptop purchase to run Linux that it pushed me to a Mac platform. I cannot imagine going back to a Windows at this point in time. So for me, the main factor is the hardware compatibility. That's just my two cents, though. So he's saying it all depends on the hardware. And so, Mike, um, last couple, two weeks ago, we switched my wife, Angela, from Mac OS over to Linux. Can you believe it? And Did you do elementary? We, we actually were going to start with elementary, but it has, okay. elementary has some problems getting loaded on the MacBook without a lot of extra work. Oh, okay. Yeah, kind of a bummer. Um, and, it, and so then we decided to go with Arch, of course, because, you know, why not? And uh, when we loaded Arch on there, she liked it quite a bit. But I have to say, uh, I, I completely agree with uh, viewer Brian here. Um, what a pain in my donkey that was. I cannot describe, like, just little tweaks here, all these little things you have to do, right. things not quite right. In fact, it was so frustrating that a couple days into it, we put the MacBook Pro up on eBay and sold it and bought her a IBM, or I'm sorry, a, a Lenovo Yoga 3 ThinkPad. And I got to say, that's a hell of a machine. The audience has been saying go ThinkPad for a long time, as you know. Really, really, the ThinkPad, huh? The Yoga 3, man, the Yoga 3. Go Google that thing. It, It is. So the uh, you have to have uh, a, a binary driver loaded if you want to use the... Uh, the uh, uh, the the Wi-Fi it comes with the Broadcom Wi-Fi, right? If you replace the Wi-Fi with an Intel chip, then it is zero hassle. It comes with a button on the side of the Yoga Three that you hold in with a pen, and that disables Secure Boot. That disables UEFI. You just then you just stick a Linux thumbstick in there. It boots off of it. It completely installs it. It goes into old BIOS mode, so there's no UEFI hassle. It's super slick. And then Ubuntu is just a couple of clicks, uh, really quick to get that Broadcom wireless going, and you're up and running. So now we have her uh, under Arch. On a, a Yoga 3 machine, running the GNOME 3 desktop, and she loves it. And it is a solid, solid machine. It's actually thinner than the new MacBook. Or lighter. I can't remember if it's thinner or lighter. It's one of them. Uh, and uh, the, sc- the screen completely flips around, so you can use it as a tablet, which is actually less of a gimmick than I expected. Right. And she's actually digging on the fact that it's a touchscreen. She actually is, is she, which is one of her biggest surprises, is she's enjoying it. Now, if you run it with Windows, it, you know, it works pretty good as a Metro device, too, I suppose. Uh, and the keyboard seems to be pretty solid. Trackpad seems to be pretty darn good. And it was uh, like 900 bucks. Damn. From Best Buy. We got it at Best Buy because we were wow. doing the reload right then. Yeah, it's super thin. And you know the other weird thing? What's that? Charges over USB. There's no regular power adapter. It's a USB port. It's got this one yellow USB port that is dedic- that you ha- that you use for charging on it. Right. That's weird. I, you know, people keep saying about the the uh, ThinkPads, the Lenovo's. You know, what, can I tell you something? If what? I could do it over again, I would not buy my XPS. I would buy this instead. What? Yeah, I wouldn't get it. So the, the Linux just you know it's not ready for 4K yet. It, it's doable, and I'm glad I have it for testing. But I don't like having it for my daily driver. It's too frustrating. And this, you know, you can get this with a really beautiful 1080p screen. It's on, on, on when you get like a four, what is this? 13-inch, 14-inch laptop? Yeah, 13.3-inch laptop at 1080p. That is so slick looking. It's so tight, but yet uh, everything scales great. And it's it, it, and, and 1080p is not that much work for an Iris 5500 graphics GPU. So you can actually play real games on it. Uh, and you cannot do that under 4K with the uh, with the same graphics chip. And so this uh, this is such a nice machine and so light. And she's getting about six to seven ba- hours of battery life under Linux right now. And it has decent sound. And it's very 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 light and very solid. It's not like MacBook solid, but it's next. It's the next best build for sure. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So uh, there you go, and that works great. This. Uh, it's a very nice laptop, and she likes it a lot, and I'm super jealous. Now I'm totally jealous of my wife's laptop. You ever get that? Oh, you, know you ever get your wife something, and then you're jealous of her gear? Yeah. What was well, it? What the, the hell did I get her? Oh, it was a laptop. A couple years ago, I got her this really, really, and I'm not a big Samsung for person, but this really souped-up Samsung uh, gaming laptop. And I'm sitting there with my little MacBook Air at the time, and I'm like, huh. 
because we were both playing WoW and the air just couldn't handle it. The air was <laughs> yep. like, yep. yeah, yeah. So that's that's totally my situation now. Is yeah, like my wife can play games on her laptop, and I I really can't play any games on my Dell at all. And so I'm just like, oh, I'm like maybe she won't want it after a while, and I'll take it. But it's funny because I, uh, I I kind of have been looking. I'm not I'm not really ready to buy. I actually thought I wanted the new XPS 13, but the more I read about it, the more it, people aren't so in love with it. Yeah, it's not bad, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's good. It's good. It's not great. It's good. Right. I mean, I I probably would be very happy with it if I hadn't had the yoga. Really? Yeah. Well, the yoga apparently comes in orange, so that's a feature. She's not. Yeah, she doesn't have the pro. The chat room's asking. She just has the regular yoga three, not the oh, yoga okay. pro. I don't. I don't even know what the difference is. Maybe like i seven. She has an i. I think it has an i five processor. Uh, it's really nice. I would may, maybe I would get the pro. I don't know what the difference is, but uh, hopefully, eventually, one day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does, right. I, but I give it. A, I give it a hearty recommendation. Uh, that is for sure. Uh, all right. Well, uh, moving on, Mr. Dominic, we have an email that came into the show. Uh, actually, I take it back. It was a, a Coda Radio subreddit post. Oh, oh, oh! And I met somebody at. Uh, you know what? I got. I made. A, I made a couple of contacts, and one I think we're going to want to bring on and chat with at some point in the future. <clears throat> at Linux Fest Northwest. So uh, I'll tell you about that maybe after the show. I'm looking forward. Oh, to- uh, I am intrigued. And yeah. this is what? What are they? It's like a teaser because because you know what? No one's going to hear what we say. No, I know. Well, we might say it on live on the live stream. Uh, well, those guys are always around anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the NSA will know. So, also, I recommend you watch this week's episode of Linux Action Show. I had two different conversations with two different gentlemen at Microsoft involved with open source stuff. Some crazy stuff. I think he said something like twenty-two percent of the uh, of the VMs that run on Azure are running uh, Ubuntu. Yeah. Isn't, isn't, aren't they running more Linux or Unix-based uh, VMs than yeah. Windows? Yeah. I thought that was true. And, and just 22% are Ubuntu. And I said, so is that like a million? And he laughed hard. And I said, is that like a few million? And he continued to laugh. And I said, is that like many million? And he said, it's many, 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 many millions. Yeah, Azure's huge, dude. Many, 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 many millions? When Ubuntu yeah. came out the other, the other day and said 25 million uh, Ubuntu installations, and we were like, yeah, right. And then this guy's laughing, saying, oh, it's many, many millions. I'm like, geez, maybe he has like 20 million alone. I mean, who knows when he – I mean, he laughed when I said a million. Like, he well, thought remember, that was people, a laughable number. People aren't necessarily, with these cloud solutions, doing big boxes, right? They're doing a lot of very, very small boxes. Yeah. Well, and sometimes they'll sp- sometimes on the back end, they'll spin up an entire VM and only expose one application. So, like, they'll do Active Directory as a service. To accomplish that, they'll right. spin up an entire VM of Windows and only expose the Active Directory service. But it, it's weird, right? Because one thing, and this is totally off topic, but we keep talking about Docker and containers on the show, and yeah. finally other people got on board with that. I, do, do you consider a container? Does that count? I don't count it, right? So if I have, a, if I have an instance, like a KVM instance, and then, a, then Docker and, like, three containers on it, to me that's one instance, yeah, Docker, I, I view that as more as isolated applications, not Right, I view it as app containers, which is, yeah. I know technically what it is, but I, I, it's interesting because I was talking to somebody uh, a couple weeks back, and they, there seems to be a lot of confusion between VMs and containers. Yeah. Like conflating containers as just another form of VM. It's not, right? Like 99% right. of the times so you're using a VM, and then in the VM you have a number of containers. See, I blame, I blame, I blame Microsoft. Microsoft Chris, is muddy Chris, in the waters. And you're like, I blame Microsoft. No, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you. I know, right? That is, I know, right? Uh, no, uh, I'll give you. I, and I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll be able to find the exact verbiage, uh, but uh, because Microsoft is calling containers virtualization in their not. documentation, it's so they are. It's not virtualized. And in their in their in their discussion on getting Docker to run on the new Windows server, they talk about how uh, Docker's run inside virtual containers. Now, what the is a virtualized container? I don't know what a virtualized container is to me, but it sounds like a VM that's running like maybe a tiny instance of Linux that then runs the Docker applications inside See, that tiny, tiny Linux instance in a Hyper-V virtual machine. I, I, I wouldn't think of it that way. I, I assume they're just spinning you up a quick like Ubuntu VM installing Docker. But that's not a container. That's a virtual machine. Well, how is this different than me going into DO like I do all the freaking time? Right, but when you go to right, but when you go to DO, when you go to DO, 
uh, you spin up uh, you spin yeah. up a virtu- uh, an Ubuntu server, and right. you could launch a hundred Docker instances on that virtual server, right? But yeah, you right. could also have you could also like if you're really down to the metal, if you were Do and you were de- directly delivering applications, you would have a bare metal Ubuntu server, and you would run the Docker instances on that bare metal server. That would be that would be the bare metal performance, right? But in the Windows scenario, you will always have to have a virtualizer between the operating system and the container. I thought they were trying to work with Docker to get more like Windows native compatibility going. So yeah, I think there is IIS. some of that too. I think there is some but, of that. Like you can you can run Windows apps in there too, and that maybe doesn't use virtualization. But when I was reading up on how to run the Linux apps in a container on Windows, uh, it looked to me, yeah, look, okay, okay, listen to this. The Docker engine uses Linux-specific kernel features, so to run it on a win- on Windows, we need to use a lightweight virtual machine. You okay. use the Windows Docker client to control the virtualized Docker engine okay. to build, run, and manage Docker containers. So when you use Docker under, win- under Windows, it's virtualization. And why do I bring this up? Because this is confusing people to hell, I think. This is confusing. It sounds well, like... Why, why is this confusing? Because I mean, if, you- if you read that, it sounds like containers are virtualized. I think what they're trying to say is that we're using our proprietary Hyper-V virtualization instead of KVM or one of the other standard Unix ones. No, no, because if you ran a container on a Linux box, there is no KVM or any virtualization involved. Because you don't have to, because Docker is a native right. Linux app. Right, right. So but containers not, right? on Windows so, are not the same thing as containers on Linux. I, they're confusing the term, not I think. Necessarily. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they're trying to cover you're right. They're trying to to kind of nicely paste over the fact that this doesn't work well on Windows, right? That it's like running an ASP.net app on a Linux server. Yeah. You can do it, it it's going to suck, right? Like it's hard. Um maybe not hard, maybe annoying is more the right way to say that. Why why is that bad? I mean, other I guess I'm not understanding. I feel why like this is evil. it's not necessarily a bad thing because, like you right. pointed out, there is a perfectly legitimate use case where you would want to spin up containers inside a virtual machine, and well, that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. But it is definitely not this. It is. It is definitely in terms of one-to-one features and performance ratio. The Windows version is. Or anything in a VM is slower, right? right. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like running, you know, me popping open VMware or use Visual Studio. Of course, it's I just wish suck. I wish Microsoft A would have a better solution for this, and B wasn't confusing people because I am also noticing that people are confusing containerization, virtualization, and what's funny to me is it's happening more today than it seemed to be happening when containerization was becoming a new concept to the mass public. It seems to be worse today, and the only thing I can figure is as Windows right. Server's uh, development. Yeah, yeah. Well, containerization is super simple, right? Let's just let's just run through the difference real quick, and I'm going to boil it down to like the dumb first grader concept. A VM is I have a box, a shoebox. I want it to be a different shoebox. So in my shoebox, I'm the I'm creating another shoebox that's a little smaller and but has the properties of my other shoebox. I don't know, Chris. You know anything about shoes? Maybe my original box is an Adidas. I am <laughs> VMing a Nike shoebox. That'd be nice. That's a VM. Containerization is I have my Adidas shoebox, and I'm putting little rulers to make divisions for different – maybe I'm not storing shoes. Maybe I'm storing marbles or money or cocaine, whatever. Like I'm creating divisions within the original shoebox. If you're on – now, this is where it gets screwed up, right? Because what Chris is saying is on Windows, that original shoebox cannot have the divisions. You have to have the, the Nike uh, VM first, right? So Windows can't do Docker. Without currently to date, this will probably change because I know uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's true that Docker is working with Microsoft. I know I read it somewhere. Oh yeah, no, uh, this is in fact this documentation I'm reading to you. It comes from docs.docker.com. Right. So so very very soon this will all be bullshit and Docker will run natively on Windows just like it runs natively on. Uh, I don't think so. Linux. I don't think so. See, I think Microsoft got once again they missed the boat on a massive really? trend that helps with cloud computing. But you it's can't afford to miss this. This containerization's too big because yeah, everybody does it. People are doing it and don't right. know. Well, here's doing what you're going to get. You're going to get some Windows-based container apps and there'll be a really small, you know, hundreds of them. And then you're going to have millions of Linux-based ones because the Linux ones have already got a year ahead 
start. There's already it's so and, and, and honestly, Linux apps are more con- uh, conducive to this kind of containerization and portability. So it's going to be more, more. And also, this is more conducive to cloud deployments, which is where there's more Linux to begin with. So there's always going to be more containers containerization using Linux technology, which means there's always going to be more on the Windows side having to use virtualization. It's Microsoft missing the boat and then sort of making up for it. The only thing native about it will be the ones that run under Windows, and it's fine. It's not. It's 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 fine. It's it's just kind of disappointing. Uh, yeah, and also I'm aware that my example wasn't great. So you know, here's the main. You know, I'll just this is the way I describe it to people. Uh, think of a container as what it really what really is happening is the kernel is isolating those processes out from the rest of the system. The kernel right. is managing that. It's tagging those processes as as being independent from the rest of the system, and therefore the two may never talk. A virtualizer is completely virtualizing, or even a the hypervisor is yeah the network right. card, the the I/O sure. controller, the display adapter. All of that is completely being faked out to the operating system. And the operating system, in a lot of cases, thinks it's talking to real hardware or is at least aware that it's being hypervised and is talking to virtual hardware, whereas a container application talks directly to your hardware through the kernel using the same exact paths that all the other applications on the system do because they're actually running through the kernel of your, so, of your yeah, host system. Exactly, exactly. And, and the point I was trying to make is there's no layer of indirection with right. a container. Yes. Where with a VM, there's absolutely indirection, right? Yeah, because that you virtual hardware layers. abstraction layer. Uh, and so that's why the performance difference is better under Docker or under any kind of container technology. And that's why if you want to deploy applications and you want to you want to have a backend infrastructure, you can have way, 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 way more uh, users on a system that's set up with containers and virtual machines because you have a lot more resources available. So I, I wonder, Chris, if we just put like a little call out to our very few but very proud .NET developers in the audience. Um, do, do you guys care? I guess I feel like. Mm. I feel just just kind of going along with your argument. Maybe Microsoft doesn't like they're doing this because they have to follow because Linux is incredibly popular on Azure. But actually, that's stupid because it does work on Linux on Azure. So that's a whole weird situation. I think I think Microsoft sees Docker becoming a way you distribute software for servers. Yeah, I just I I don't understand what. I guess I'm trying to think of the scenario where I would want to run Docker on Windows directly, and I'm having a hard time coming up with the case. And maybe it's because I'm not a .NET guy, at least not on the back end. You know, I, mean, I could see Xamarin, for internal but... uses, right, deploying applications across the farm of Windows servers to keep things consistent, maybe. Uh, you know, I mean, development, so that way everybody's working from the same development environment, perhaps. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, but that, that solution, th- those docs, I mean, that, that seems pretty jank, like that... I can't imagine wanting to do that in production yet. Yeah, and and not to mention like uh, there's, I mean Windows already kind of has ways of doing this with MSI files and group policy and there's right. there's there are other methods out there. They're not great. They're not elegant. They're not cross uh, company and, car- and cross enterprise. But yeah, hmm. Hmm. you know yeah, what I think it is like, is I think Microsoft ahead. is a little worried that I you know Windows is is not a super compelling server platform for. I hate being such a d-bag, but cloud deployments—it's just really not. It's 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 pretty compelling for on-premises. It really is, you know, with Active Directory and the way you can simply join Windows clients to that domain, and then all the authentication is shared, and you can then integrate that in with your with your with an intranet if you want. I mean, it is it is a very good on-premises solution. All of those benefits, though, really do not apply at all to server deployments out in the cloud. Yeah, I mean, the way the way I use Docker, I can't imagine doing that on. Windows at the moment, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's a little unfair, and and I would I would actually ask if there's any Microsoft employees listening in. Well, you know what, and to you bring it back a little bit, about it? Yeah. I would I would point out one of the reasons that Docker became so popular on Linux is it solves a fundamental issue that Windows doesn't face: fragmentation, distribution right. fragmentation. Is Things are weird, right? Yeah, there's one right. Windows, right? There's one Windows server to worry about, really. If you're writing an application, sure, there's multiple SKUs of it, but if you're from an application development standpoint, there's one Windows server. Well, .NET is .NET is .NET is .NET, as long as it's the same version. Right. Right. But not so much on on Linux, and so containerization sort of solves that. That also is another reason why it got so much more momentum under Linux, and I think maybe why Microsoft didn't see it as a direct requirement 
for Windows Server until they really saw that, oh, it's more than just take care of that fragmentation problem. It's also about software being distributed directly by vendors and, 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 and developers sharing uh, containers in the Stalker Hub system. And then they realized, oh, there's an ecosystem here that we need to be part of. You know, I, think, I think part of it is, is, the, is the same thing we always come back to with Microsoft and their tools. They have this huge problem of being big and having legacy and maybe it feels, and this is maybe a little bit of a devil's advocacy thing here. Maybe it feels like a weird half stuff because that's what it feels like to me. It feels like a weird half mm. sort of supported kind of thing because they do have to support, you know, decades of legacy, and no one else does, or no one else cares to. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and uh, uh, they they are they are realizing that okay, our our bread is very much being buttered by services. And there's an operating system out there that is completely free and very good for services. And so if I think Microsoft's approach is we need to be able to do everything they can do at least and do some things better. And so if they can do Docker, even if we can't be the best at it right now, we've got to be able to do it. Like I could see a case where Windows Server makes sense, like you were saying, like a small business, like a small little store, just have a little exchange. Yeah, man. I mean, to be honest with you, if I had a if I if I had a handful of clients run a Windows Server 10 with Docker. Right. I would probably use that to manage some of their applications to make my life easier. Right, especially if I was like the independent vendor. Yeah. Being able to just use Docker to quickly mm-hmm. update whatever I need to update. I, I could have, see yeah. it. Yeah. I see, you know, Chris, we've been too much in the, I mean, Apple slash Linux, yeah. Unixy kind of well, world. And, you but. know, if, if Docker was truly a solution for Windows where I could run an entire app, uh, Windows application stack, like, you know, let's just say like vendor uh, or let's just say client XYZ has some really crazy esoteric uh, customer management system or internal application that maybe it's even like really old. If I could if I could keep that application protected in a Docker container while continuing to install Windows updates on the underlying server OS, then, uh, that would be enough of a use that right there for me. Super scary though. Yeah, in for sure, security wise. But so many Windows servers out there do not get patched. Because Windows updates will break compatibility with a legacy application, so they just, you know what, they just say, okay, well, this box, we don't patch. I would still have a surface area of attack there. Yeah, of course, but at least the OS in a Docker world, in a container world, so the application, yes, still vulnerable, still exposed, but it's just the application, whereas the underlying OS would be at least getting patched in that scenario. See, I I almost would rather not have that option for people so that... Although I would assume that they would do the right thing, and I would be wrong almost every time. Well, I tell you what, what happens today is they just don't patch the entire They just computer. don't patch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then on the Windows environment, that'll eventually catch up to you, because then pretty soon, if you have an old enough computer, it starts dragging down the overall feature set that your entire Active Directory can support. And then, then you start, maybe you, maybe you don't turn the encryption up one level higher, or you don't turn on SMB signing, or you, do, you start making all these little compromises, because that old rig that runs that... Well, it runs our number one piece of software, so if that if that if that breaks, well, we don't have a business, so we yeah. don't update. And that that's See, I well, think every, I don't think that's just kind of common. I would argue almost every business with more than about twenty people has that. See, when I talk to .NET developers that I am acquainted with, it always seems like the problem they have is a legacy. Always, always, yeah. always, always. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the like, Windows network nightmare. That's what burns me out so bad working on Windows networks. Yeah, I. I, I, I really think one day we should get like a, a one of the MVPs or one of the, the .NET people on here to kind of not defend, but kind of explain from their perspective. From their perspective, because yeah. to me, it just sounds like a bunch of scary, legacy, potentially insecure stuff that I would much rather avoid mm-hmm. given given the options. Then yeah. again, like we've said before, sometimes you can bury yourself in a fortress of legacy and become the expert on it. Having said that, I ship Rails apps, so you know yeah. they're, they're super secure. Don't worry about it. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, let me tell you about something fantastic. That's our next sponsor on the Coda Radio program. That's DigitalOcean. That's where I go to build my infrastructure on demand now. I feel a bit like a baller. Like, yeah, I got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and Germany. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just spin up. Let me just spin this up in Singapore. That oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I got, I'll do it in less than 55 seconds. That's right. I'm talking about DigitalOcean, a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated offering, the most intuitive and easy way for you to get your own cloud server. And I love the fact that that is all actual factual truth you nobody gets this done faster nobody has a better ui and you can get html5 access right to the console of the rig you're setting up which is so so nice for remote troubleshooting and you get started in less than 55 seconds pricing plans start at only five dollars a month 
$5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte, a terabyte of transfer, a terabyte of transfer, you guys. That's nuts. A terabyte. And I, I like, I never get close to that, ever. And I've got, I've got several droplets now, one dedicated to Minecraft even, which I beefed up to, with some more memory, uh, one that... Oh, man, was so, so crazy essential at Linux Fest this weekend, syncing uh, art assets between Noah's uh, OBS production rig and my laptop. So, so critical. And, you know, knowing that I could absolutely rely on DigitalOcean for that up-to-the-second dependability is great. So go over to DigitalOcean and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL when you check out. Or it's not really a checkout. You just apply it to your account. That'll give you a $10 credit. You can trap that $5 rig two months for free when you use the promo code just for the Coder Radio program. Coder Digital. That supports the show, but I'll get you that $10 promo as well. And you got to check out that interface while you're over there. I'm showing you a video if you're looking on the uh, video version right now of the show, but go over to DigitalOcean try it out for yourself. It is crazy intuitive. It's the best control panel you'll ever use for anything like this. And the best part is they just released they just released the new version of their API that makes this even better. Power users can replicate the functionality of this awesome control panel with that API. There's tons of apps that take advantage of that. There's ways to build it into your update systems. You go to take an update, you do a snapshot on your DigitalOcean droplet first. It's very slick. It's the best out there, and they just made it even better. Speaking of getting even better, DigitalOcean just opened a brand new data center up in Germany, and this is a super critical one if you want to get out there. Not only do they have 40 gigabit E connections to each hypervisor, yeah, 40 gigabit to each one. So you're going to get uh, probably, I think if that breaks down, I think they talk about it here in this post, you essentially get like a gigabit to your hypervisor. That's nuts. Uh, plus, they have the fastest yet SSDs. But I think the best part is the, its placement. It's on the German Commercial Internet Exchange. That's the largest exchange uh, by uh, worldwide peak traffic. And that, and that region also serves Germany's neighboring countries with unparalleled connectivity and speeds. So uh, I think that is uh, a great place. Also, it meets uh, the region that region that they have the data center in meets the uh, safe, har- safe harbor regulations for storing data. So that might be uh, particularly of note to some of you. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. Get that $10 credit. Try that $5 rig out. They got CoreOS, which is great. They got FreeBSD now. They got Ubuntu, which is what all I've done. I've moved. I've got uh, one Arch rig still, and I love it. And then I've got uh, all Ubuntu 14.04 droplets. I, uh, I'm just telling you, 14.04, it's just such a great LTS Cloud OS, DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. Get a $10 credit. Try out a rig for a couple of months and support our show. It is a lot of fun. From Minecraft to Mumble to the back-end infrastructure for your next big app, DigitalOcean's got it. DigitalOcean.com, CODERDIGITAL. Okay, Mr. Dominic. So we had a a topic that came in from Jed, who I had a great time with at Linux Fest. Uh, You would really like Jed. First of all, he has a very fancy kilt and very nice socks. See, when I wear it, they just call it a skirt and they throw things at me. But we will, we'll, we'll let it go. We'll and and Jed has perhaps the ballerest of all bikes of mm-hmm. you've ever seen. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty damn impressive. He's got uh, a uh, cargo-carrying platform mounted to the front of his bike. And I may or may not... May or may not sometimes carry beer in it. I, I, don't, I cannot confirm that, uh, but from time to time... So, so Jed was at Linux Fest Northwest. He was one of the guys that uh, was looking for you. Lots of people, you know, lots of people. I'm to... sorry. I know. And Jed, Jed and I, we had a moment. Uh, then he came over and took it out on me by shooting me with. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Here. Uh, so I want to. This here is a picture of Jed. And I uh, uh, see if you look in the background there, Mr. Dom, I don't know if you're watching the video version. You can see that Jed has a carrying platform on his bike. Pretty respectable. Pretty respectable. Mm. And so he's Memoc Proxy in the uh, Quota Radio subreddit. And uh, he submitted uh, this thread. And he says, the Java hate one. Why do you not like Java? I've put up a fair amount of Java. I put up with a fair amount of Java through my career. When I switched from Java to PHP, I was shocked at the vague string-based nature of everything. But then I started to recall my years of Perl programming. The glory of Java is type safety above all else. If you can't add more specifically to your language, it doesn't have enough keywords. So it goes on and on. Uh, now, you like to always touch on poor Java. Before I let you get into that, I wanted to talk about Ninja Aaron's point. He says, yeah, I'm, bi- I'm biased against Java, and I've never written a single line of it. 
Fantastic. That's what I like to hear. Probably has to do with the fact that the apps I've used, which were written in Java, were enormous, slow, and ugly. I've mostly had to use Java apps at work, and it is awful. I sort of associate Java with awful corporate applications. Uh, But I'm not a serious programmer. I'm a linguist who uses programming to analyze data. So, uh, Mr. Dominic, why do you hate Java so much? We talk about it a lot. We bash it a lot. We've had Ugh. now this, this user support thread in here. Uh, uh, we see people in here also talking about why they hate Java. And i got to tell you, I think Java doesn't get enough respect. I think when I a language has Java. been around for this long, has been this useful, has changed hands, and this many people have poked at right. it, I think by its very nature it deserves respect. It is our elder. What so do you I'm- think? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something uh, a little weird here. I'm going to compare Java to PHP. Hmm. And Java and PHP have a very similar problem, right? They're old. They, they've been changed too many times. And people have written a lot, a lot, a lot of shitty code in each of them. So what happens is when you're coming into any... You know, I would challenge you to go pick any programming language you like, inherit <laughs> a legacy project, and tell me that the code isn't crap. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Even if the code is good, just by virtue of you not understanding it, you're going to have that knee-jerk, this is crap reaction, right? Yeah, and, and, and when, you, uh, when you start using it and you're not totally right. familiar with it, it's crap. Right, and until so you relax and figure out what the other guy was thinking, and then maybe it is crap, but whatever. You know, <laughs> it is crap. Java is, I, I will, Java's old, Right, it shows its age. It is religiously OO, meaning that everything's an object. Period. End of discussion. Um, yes, which is kind of cumbersome. <laughs> religiously <and stupid>. so. <laughs> um, you know, it loves its verbosity. Although I write Objective C, and you want to talk verbose, we can talk verbose. You know, hell, Java is pretty terse compared to Objective C. She's <laughs> just going to throw it out there. Um, I, I. Don't hate it. Now, I will say that I don't like some of the Java frameworks, like Java EE. Um, yeah, if you're working on a Java EE program, that's probably crap. So uh, Jed linked uh, this Cora thread, why do many software engineers not like Java? And uh, it's got some great, great answers, he says. Yeah. 66 answers so far. Uh, he said uh, uh, one that has uh, 267 upvotes. For a small project, there's a lot of boilerplate, and it takes longer to get yeah. things done quickly. I, uh, I, I suspect that most of these developers don't work at a company where code needs to be maintained for several years by different people. Yeah. Java excels at these type of projects. because yep, it's legible. Though I would say that if you're looking for a faster kind of development model, more akin to like a Rails or, or something like that, check out uh, Java Play. I think I've talked about it a few times on the show, I'm a, and it like, lets you mix and match Scala in there, too, if you're a hippie. Yeah. I, I, honestly, it, try it, right? Give it a try because you get a lot of the advantages of a familiar language to you because everybody learns Java and a lot of that rails like, um, how, how do you say, Chris? Like the kind of just like the speed, right? The ease oh. of development. Oh, yeah, the, the frictionless uh, ease, um, right? I, I, yeah, I haven't had enough high-end coffee today, so I, <laughs> I, I can't do it. You've been drinking so, the cheap stuff today, Mr. Dominic? <laughs> yeah, I've been drinking tea. I'm, I'm feeling very I'm feeling oh, quiet. Hey, I'm on Diet Coke. I don't know what that – I don't know if that's – is that a side grade, a downgrade? Uh, that's, not, a, that's a big downgrade. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, we, I, I certainly agree with Jed that C-sharp is Java done correctly, right? I mean, isn't that true? Chris, you would agree with that. Oh, I, I am, uh, I am going to avoid that one. But my impl- my, Im- my instinct is to agree. Uh, it's true. I mean, I, I'm not a huge Microsoft. The reason fan, but, why I, the reason yeah. why I, the reason why I shy away from that is because I made that statement a couple of years ago and then proceeded to get hate mail for a year. So because really pe- because people yeah, who are I'm, truly into it feel like that's an insult, really. So I, I don't know. I know. I it, agree it, with you, but I don't officially agree it, with you. It really, really is. I mean, the best part of Xamarin is C-sharp. I'm just going to throw it out there. And the worst part of Xamarin is Xamarin. So, oh. I, God. Actually, it's Xamarin Forms is the worst part. Um, why? So so I, I'm going to turn this around on you, Jed. Why is it important that everybody hate Java to you? Because, you know, I, feel, I have very similar criticisms to this for PHP. Yeah, see, to me, right? this, is the, this is the key point. Uh, it's a language, and every right, language it's, has its strengths and weaknesses. There's no perfect languages. 
I mean, think about this. You know, there's all these giant Rails applications being written now. Give it two, three more years, and Rails is going to be the horrible uh, legacy platform that all the cool kids... Actually, it already is, right? Because I mentioned Rails to somebody just as early as towards the end of last week, and I got a, oh, well, we're using Node. Kind of. Here's, like, oh, well. here's some wisdom. Here's some wisdom. Given that for any task, some languages will be better than others, this is always going to occur. And of course, some languages will be bad at all tasks. And then they become the butt of programming jokes. <laughs> like PHP. Oh, that's what I was going for. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there all anything right. else we want to cover today? Yes, I actually have a listener was awesome uh, two weeks ago, and I took a little while to take a look at his app. He, his name is Philip. I don't know if he wants me to give his last name, so I'm not going to. Okay. He developed a iOS app that tied. Do you remember CodeShip? We had their CTO on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. Four or five months back. Yeah. You wrote an iOS app that ties into your CodeShip deployment. No. Your CodeShip instance, rather. And lets you, on the go, kind of monitor your deployments to see if there's issues. Very cool. It, it is... Uh, Looks iPhone good, design, too. Look at it, that. Yeah, it runs on the iPad as well. I think it's like five bucks. Very, very good. He sent me a... No, uh, no, uh, it's two bucks. One ninety nine. Two bucks. One ninety nine. So mm-hmm. super affordable. For two bucks, you, you can't really go wrong. Yeah, this looks really good. So it's called CodeShip Manager by Philip, and uh, we'll have a link in the show notes, or just go sh- search for CodeShip Manager in the App Store. And uh, yeah, the iPad UI, the iPhone UI looks really tight. I like the iPhone UI a lot better, but it's still, it, it's very functional on the iPad. I tried yeah. it on an Air. Uh, yeah. And I would also like to take the opportunity... If listeners, especially young listeners, if you have an app, have an open source project, you want to send it in for one of us to look at. Totally, definitely do it. The only thing is, if it's commercial, send a promo code because we can't buy everything. Yeah, code or radio jupiterbroadcasting dot com. Uh, yep. Also, Philip also has made a digital ocean uh, yes, manager. Yes, he did. Look at yes, that. Yeah, yeah. Try that yet, but I tried the. Uh, Whoa! Look at that! It give give you a map of where your server's at. How cute is that? And Visit so you, and pet your server. Yeah, and then you can pull up. You could reboot PowerCycle, shut down, and manage your DigitalOcean droplet. This is pretty cool, Philip. You can create a new server from the app. Okay, 2015, man. Spinning up a freaking virtual server from an app on your smartphone. 2000 freaking 15. Wow. That is amazing. Well, good work, Philip. That'll be also it'll be linked on his uh, on this CodeShip uh, manager page. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, even though we didn't get to see you, I'm still glad we had you were well enough to join us for Monday's edition of the Coder Radio program. We'd love to have you join us. Come over to the uh, JBLive.tv page. We do the show on Mondays, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send people this week? Straight to the fiery chasm of hell. That makes sense. I, I say... We kill off this whole batch of listeners and start start afresh next week. What could go wrong? <laughs> no, don't do that at all. Don't do that at all. Horrible idea. We love you guys. In fact, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and send us in your feedback. Go to coderadio.reddit.com to make this show even better. And like I said, we'll see you next week. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here. You know, next week. Next week. Oh, no, you won't. Tell me at the conference. Oh, no show next week? Schedule. We have to reschedule it. Okay. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar.